In the depth of the forest, an old oak root, the pride of the greenwood there. O'er his branches the ivy her mantle threw, when the forest boughs were bare. Oh, the oak and the ivy, oh, the oak and the ivy, oh. Hello and welcome to Trees A Crowd. Right, back in October of 2022, a bison was born. This was the first wild bison born in Britain to a free-roaming herd since the species was hunted to extinction, and it is kind of a big deal. The Kent Wildlife Trust and the Wildwood Trust have reintroduced a now five-strong herd of European bison to the Bleen Woods in Kent, just outside of Canterbury. This is known as the Wilder Bleen Project, And it is a landmark conservation exercise that deserves the big shiny lights that have been attached to it. It is officially a good news story gracing the front pages of national newspapers. And perhaps even more excitingly than that, a month after the birth of the aforementioned calf, an actor called Leonardo DiCaprio praised the birth of this bison on his Instagram feed, which begs the question... When, oh when, will actors learn to keep out of this environmental stuff and just leave it to the experts? So, with my actor's flouncy scarf suitably replaced by my Wildlife Trust ambassador epaulettes and my tray of vegan Ferrero Rocher, I, David Oakes the actor, headed out with the bison whisperers of the Wilder Bleen project to see exactly what was going on there. There are two rangers on the ground with the bison day-to-day. They are called Don and they are called Tom. And shortly after the bison calf gambled into my eyeline one frosty January morning and was then joined by the remainder of the herd, it was Don that first came to introduce me to the animals. So that's the auntie, the one that's just come out the back there. Uh, uh-huh. She adores the calf. Oh, she she loves her. We often see her grooming the calf and playing with her. Uh, she's she's very shy um, and very inquisitive. Uh, okay. She's she's amazing. <laughs> and then the one closest to us is the matriarch, uh-huh. and oh, she's. Honestly, we hit the jackpot with her. She is incredible. She's 18 years old and she brings that calmness and confidence to the herd. She's the foundation of the, of the herd and and with her experience as well she she leads the herd. So is she the pregnant one? Uh, the pregnant one is, is the, the one, one just behind yeah, the male, okay. uh, the two one. She's uh, again a completely different character. She's really spicy, she's quite fiery. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's just had a baby, character. wouldn't be. Yeah. She, <laughs> Very naughty. She's always first in line for food. She's uh-huh. got a healthy appetite. <laughs> and you can see a bit of the, the, the calf's character in her as well. A calf uh-huh. loves playing. And well, the he, calf ran out of the tree cover beautifully. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> is the calf still breastfeeding or is it fully? She is. Yeah, she's still suckling. She'll probably be until, until for the next year until she calves again. Okay. And then she'll, um, she'll be weaned off. But she's on her solids already, eating away at that. She is, yeah. You can see she's she's browsing already, grazing. Uh, she's learning from from the adults. She follows the herd, and her youthfulness. You, you can see it in the two younger females. They often play with her. You'll see them jumping across. And, uh, there's a seasonal stream that flows through the through uh-huh. the block, and you see them bouncing backwards and forwards, across <laughs> and chasing each other around. And they clash horns very gently. They sort of you know, headbutt each other. Yeah, I was play. watching. Uh, <laughs> do you call it rutting? I guess. You, yes, yes. Yeah, I was watching some of the videos of the rutting, and it was, 
it was, it was barely contact. It sort of it. I mean, obviously, it must be like they're huge animals that weigh a couple of tons. Yes. But like you watch the video of it, and you go, it's more like caressing and stroking. Yes. Sort of, <laughs> sort of a bonding exercise. Yeah. As to anything more. <laughs> Amazing. And and he's particularly gentle with them. He um, he's slightly bigger than the main truck. You can see there, just a little bit taller. Um, he's got a lot of growing to do. So he's four years old. And uh-huh. you can see by the size of his tracks, he's still growing into his feet. He's sure. going to get a lot bigger. But he's very, very gentle with him. Uh, he's, he oh, came from a different herd originally? Or? Yeah. yeah. He's from Germany, right? He's from Germany. Uh, the matriarch is from Highland Wildlife Park in Scotland. Uh-huh. And then the two younger females are from Photo in Ireland. Okay. And it's, uh, it's amazing. Their, their herding instinct is so, so strong. They, um, they instantly bonded and, and formed the herd. And the matriarch, matriarch took the lead. Um, is that because they need to live in herds? Is there something sort of deep in the genetics that they want yeah, to? Or? That's it. Yeah, s- 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 survival. Uh, yeah. yeah, survival. And we we we, we really noticed it uh, recently, where because the males just been introduced, and uh, we had to do some uh, blue tongue t- uh, do a blue tongue test on him. Mm-hmm. And while, while he was in the corral, the herd was standing outside, and I thought that they would move off and carry on feeding. And they waited for him. Four hours they stood there and waited for him until, until we, we released him and he rejoined the herd. I thought, gee, that shows you how, what a bond they make, how, how quickly that, that connection is made. It's how long were they a bit standoffish when he arrived initially? No, they were they actually, they, were, they weren't at all. They were very inquisitive, um, particularly the female with one horn. She has got she's head over heels in love with him uh-huh. you can see she's standing right next to him yeah <laughs> she's got a crush on him <laughs> it's quite cute she follows him around like a little puppy <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a betting man that's the couple that you oh, think yeah, might definitely. increase the herd a little bit next <laughs> he's not in season yet he's still too young he's a juvenile so um, he's he's at the age now we, we, we he's started to we've seen uh, what they call a flaming gesture so he's 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 sort of testing to see if the the females are in estrus and he's had a few goes uh, okay sort of try, try to mount them but um the, the matriarch will show him the ropes he's he's got a lot of learning to do and, and she's <laughs> she's got the experience she's really uh, she's amazing and he, and he and he looks to her Often, you know, if there's a bit of stress or if there's something he's not sure about, he, you can see he immediately turns to her and, and she just brings that calmness and that confidence back to him and uh, she's, she's wonderful. Um, this herd would be completely different without her. Uh-huh. It would, um, How much supplementary food are you putting down for them? Because they're eating hay off the floor at the moment. Yeah, we really debated Story. this question because we... we we want to see the natural behavior in the bison. It's really important for them to just roam freely. And, and we're looking for that, that, that you know, t- for them to get on with bison business out in the block. And But the, this, the thing that sealed the deal really was the calf. It's their first winter sure. in Berlin and they, they're brand new. Um, so we, we we made the decision to uh, give them a, a small supplementary feed in the morning uh, just to just to help them through the winter. Sure. And then as soon as spring arrives, then we will slowly just taper it Take off it and then stop and let them carry on. Um, the, the mother really needs it at the moment. She, um, you know, the calf is still suckling. So yeah. it's, it's really important to the amount of energy to well create that milk. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, and I don't know what's in that milk, but it's like jet fuel. You can see. Look at this, the, the calf has tripled in size since she was born. She's oh, she, she's amazing. She's growing every week. She's a little bit bigger and a little bit stockier. You didn't know that 
it was pregnant when it, when it was... No, we didn't. We had our suspicions. Uh, Did you keep quiet about it? No, like, as no, in, we'll no, take she... that one, the one that's looking <laughs> a little... We didn't have a choice. No, it was a wonderful surprise. But really, when she arrived, actually, on our body condition scoring notes, when I read back, I, we, we, we commented that, um, wow, she's got a really healthy appetite. And, and she was always first in line for food. She still does, actually. She's uh-huh. still... And um, and then we started to notice sort of little little signs like she you know she had a bit of a tummy but she was always that way and we just thought oh that's who she is uh-huh. and that's who. and then right towards uh, the end when when just before she gave birth um, her udder you could see it on her udder and that's when we we, we suspected it's, it was also very late for them to calf for sure. her to calf so but it is so difficult to tell it's it's almost impossible to yeah. to look at them and say that's well, a survival that's, mechanism right that's right and they were the ones that came from Ireland. Yes, yeah. So she, uh, yeah, she came from Ireland and oh, the cough is just, she's been doing so, so well. Was it a problem? I mean, obviously you weren't banking on having five bison at that stage. I mean, no, it, it wasn't a problem at all. In, in fact, it's it's been the exact opposite. It's really the herd, it bonded the herd in... in um, so it was just a completely different dynamic within uh-huh. the herd when she was born. They were very protective of her. You know, we just saw a, a whole new side to to the bison behaviour, um, and so it it, it was well, well, fantastic. It was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. Uh, amazing and a first bison born in the UK in a free roaming herd. It's that's wonderful, and, and she's going to grow up eventually. She, all she will know is the bleen. She'll experience all the different seasons. Uh, she'll know where all the ponds are. Sure, sure. The best feeding places are. And she'll pass that knowledge on to her young one day. And oh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I've got a million questions. I'll ask them all over the course oh, of the fine. next few Don't hours. Worry. <laughs> but, like, I mean, like, and you probably don't even know or have a license to know yet or whatever. But, like, is there a maximum herd size that you would have be capable to hold within this enclosure? Like, At 20. 20, okay. the cap, but but we're starting really small, and um, part of that is is uh, due to the monitoring, you know, to because to, it's a, a controlled trial using yeah, yeah. European bison to manage the woods in a in this natural, sustainable way. You know, we basically just giving nature back the reins, and um, what they're doing is they're creating homes for other species yeah. to survive and, and thrive here in the woods. They're creating these little microhabitats. Just by the way they debark trees, rub up against them, the way they move through through the uh, and interact with the, with the woods. Imagine their dung as well is great for invertebrates and fertilizing the plants. Wow, they like walking seed banks. Sure. They they dispersing seeds as they go and fertilizing in the in the, in the dung. It's amazing. It, we um, we've already picked up. Uh, different types of fungi growing in their dung, seeds germinating from the dung. Uh-huh. The birds have figured out that their, their dung is like a little smorgasbord of all sorts of uh, treats and invertebrates. So they, they sit and they peck, peck away, <laughs> <laughs> catching all the interest. And we've got a few universities that are doing research in the bleed and um, they, they've been looking at the invertebrates and they broke open one of the pats and it was full, full, full of dung beetle larvae. How the dung beetles got the memo that the bison and the bleen, I don't know, but they're here. Sure. I can't wait for spring. Wow, to see to see what comes up is gonna be it's gonna be like opening a treasure chest. Really, it's it's gonna be amazing. They've created these natural rides and glades through this block here. It's it's remarkable the impact that they've had. We we knew that they would have impact, but we never dreamt that it would be so quick. Sure. That's wonderful.
Now, before I introduce you to Tom, the project's other ranger, I thought it equally important, as well as explaining what's going on at Bleen, to highlight why it was that Don and Tom were both selected from thousands of applicants to be the UK's first ever bison rangers. Now, sadly, Don had to run off before I got a chance to shove my microphone back into his face, so we caught up over the wires a few days later. My name is Donovan Wright, and I'm a bison ranger with the Wilder Bleen Project. But you've not always been that, and obviously, judging by your accent, you're not in, you're not from Kent either, are you? No, yes, I'm South African, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't always a bison ranger. I was just a ranger, <laughs> and um, yeah, I've worked in conservation for over twenty years. Uh, I've been very, very, very blessed to have worked with inspiring and and dedicated conservationists, um, just the most uh, amazing people. Okay, this might sound like a bit of a stupid question, but what exactly is a ranger? Like, what is what do you do when you're conducting a safari, and what are your responsibilities? Well, the responsibilities are to act as a, a conduit between conservation efforts and the general public, you know, to help people reconnect with nature and and to sh- share and, and and help them experience the wonders wonders of nature. It's 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 a privilege. It's a huge responsibility, uh, um, and there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that as well. Well, why, why did you go down that path? Has it always been about the conservation effort? Has it always been about giving people that attention to nature? Like, where does that begin? I, for, for me, it was chasing a dream. I literally was, yeah, a, a dream come true. I, I still remember the first time I saw a lilac-breasted roller sitting in a marula tree, and it just absolutely blew me away how old are you then oh i was uh probably 21 21 okay. 20 <laughs> 20 years old yeah i oh and it just snowballed from there <laughs> but do you like there's there's not a ranger school as such is there like you don't do you how do you qualify what do you do like i like if i if, if the people listening to this wanted to become a, a, a ranger in south africa how would they set about doing that the route, the route I took was um, I studied um, after school. I, I, I studied through correspondence, um, and then yeah, I was busy studying through uh, University of South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working in a in a vegetable wholesaler, <laughs> distributing vegetables to Botswana and to franchises. And one of the um, the companies that used to come through was um, were, were Gang Reserves, and um, and I used to listen to their stories and um, oh. Man, I I was just <laughs> I wanted to be those guys, <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, I heard about this um, this course that you could do. It's a company called Ecologics, and um, uh-huh. the nice thing about it was that you you actually lived in the bush while you we were on this course, and and afterwards they put you on an eco personnel system to help you find a job in the industry. And okay. I sold my cars, sold everything I had, and I, I got onto this course. I managed to get on, and uh, wow, it was fantastic it was so so good i loved every second of it and um yeah and then i went back to work and one day they phoned and said listen we would you like to go for this interview and um i didn't even hesitate i, I yeah got that was my first i got the job and it was my a toe in the door and i was doing what was it what was from, the job 
it was everything. I was literally scrubbing toilets, <laughs> <laughs> cleaning the conference room, uh, checking the fences, and uh, we had a little. There was a little uh, eco adventure center, so I was looking after some ostrich and um, <laughs> and uh, three donkeys, and <laughs> and then they had uh, some wildlife from the small game reserve. Um, it was up in the mountains. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Wow, and. For me, it was heaven. It was absolutely heaven. And that was where it started. And, and my dream was to work in a reserve with Big Five. And one day it, it came true. Um, I was contacted and, and they said, oh, would you, know, would you be interested in this position? And I applied for the job and I got my, got my first job. It was in the Manuelati. Wow. It was still pinch myself. It, it was spectacular. For those that don't know, the Big Five are which animals? They are lion, leopard, uh, buffalo, elephants, and rhino. I mean, that's a bit of a step from a vegetable wholesaler, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, it, it was, it was, well, I used to work uh, four weeks on and I used to get seven days off. And on my days off, we were, we were bordering the Kruger National Park and I would head straight into the Kruger National Park. <laughs> <laughs> sleep in the back of my car and just drive seven days I spent seven days driving around the Kruger <laughs> and then back to work <laughs> Was there a particular species that excited you the most? Wow, well, you know I've been asked that a million times and it's such a hard choice because yeah, I mean everything from a, from a honey badger to but I think if I was really pushed and I had to choose one it would probably be elephant, I think. Uh, just, yeah. Just... Okay, let, let, let me rephrase the question then. Let me ask you, is there a particular encounter with an individual creature that you particularly remember? Oh, yeah, I've, I've had such wonderful, wonderful sightings. I, 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 think, I think, you know, it's just the one that springs to mind, and, and it's probably because I was talking about it the other day. Yeah. We, we had a lioness and, uh, with cubs. She, she had five cubs. They were tiny newborn cubs. And we were, we were watching her one afternoon and she, she, the cubs were playing. And one of the rangers that was joining the sighting was following the two dominant male lions of the area. And I, um, I thought, oh, fantastic. You know, it's going to be a family reunion. You know, it'll be. And yeah, was, I, I'm not sure why, but when when the males uh, reached the the slimies, they they uh, attacked her. And um, these cubs ran up to the side of the vehicle, and they were trembling. I mean, they were literally shaking. And we we could have reached down and picked them up and put them in the Land Rover and taken them back to the lodge with us. They were that they were that small. And we had a very strict, you know, um, let don't interfere. You know, let nature. Uh, nature's in charge and, and um, hands-off approach and so yeah eventually it came down to us uh, I literally had to sort of shoo these these cubs away from the side of the vehicle and then we drove back to camp and wow the guests I had with me were as you can imagine they were just devastated uh, we were sitting around the fire that night and t- talking about it and I could see it it was stinging you know everybody that was in the sighting it, it was really tough and and the chances that those cubs were going to survive was, you know, really, really slim. So the next morning, we jumped in the Land Rover, was straight back out there. And, uh, you know, my tracker was looking around. There were, there were hyena tracks everywhere. Uh, we found the remains of one of the cubs. Gold. And, um, yeah, we thought, well, you know, that's, that's the end of that. And, um, wow, it, it, was, it was hard for the guests. They, 
And um, anyway, the yeah, the guests eventually left, and 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 animals, you know, especially for a territorial animal like a lion, they they didn't hide from us for for months on end. But anyway, a, a month went past. It was actually a month and three days. And then one day we are out and drive and we, we discovered this lioness with the four remaining cubs on a, on a buffalo kill. She had killed a large male buffalo in, in this drainage line. And we were blown away. I just couldn't believe where, you know, where had she been for the last month? So we backtracked her. We tracked her all the way back up to these inselbergs. And she, after she, you could see scarring on, on her body where she had it healed. And uh, she, she had obviously after this fight with these males, she had survived. She had found the four remaining cubs and she had taken them up to the top of this, um, this little, this inselberg. And, and they were still at the age where they were suckling and she was able to, to keep them alive and probably keep herself alive by catching scrubbies or clip spring or whatever, whatever she could find up there until she healed. And then she came back and she took her territory back again. And, and, um, we suspect that it could be that she had a kill in, in the drainage line that she was trying to keep for herself. Maybe it, it's, it was quite a strange, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to put nature in a box. And I was so grateful. And I, I remember just, I went through our records and I found those guests, the contact details of those guests. And I emailed them all and said, you won't believe it. Uh, you know, she's, she's alive and, 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 and she's got her, got her pubs and, uh, you know, they would have ended up in a rehabilitation center somewhere. And it was, in the end, it was this, this most amazing story. Uh, so I, yeah, sometimes nature can, is like that. <laughs> I guess incredible. I mean, you, you say there are so many stories that you could tell that spring to mind. So I guess my big question is, why would one decide to leave the Kruger and to leave the Big Five and to move to Canterbury? And <laughs> go to Kent. Not that Kent's not gorgeous, but that's a hell of a shift. It is. It's a. It's a big change. It's a big change. But it. I mean, you, you saw. You know, it's just. It's no less important. You know, you look at those bison, and they are such remarkable animals. I. You know, when I look at them, I just. You know, a species that has literally fought its way back from the brink of extinction, and. It, and it's now roaming five miles away from Canterbury in the Bleen Woods. I, I still pinch myself. I, I just uh, I look at them and I think, wow, it's it's hope. You know, it's just yeah. there's it, hope, and it's an absolute privilege to be working on a on a on a project like this. That, and I, you know, I think if it doesn't matter if it's you know one point two million hectares or fifty five hectares or your garden, your back garden, that it it all counts. Do you see any similarities between the Cape buffalo that you used to work with and the European bison that you now work with? I mean, they're they're different species, but I think they're from the same family of animals. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're from the, the same subfamily. Uh, Bovinae. I well, they. <laughs> I suppose the best way of explaining it would be uh, Cape buffalo. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a seven hundred and fifty kilogram stick of dynamite with a really short fuse <laughs> and uh, and a european bastard is oh they, they're gentle giants they're just these fluffy just <laughs> charismatic oh no they, they're wonderful wonderful animals and such personalities they are amazing so different i mean each of those individuals is so so different and yet that, that just works that that whole family when you see them just interacting and then interacting with the woods 
Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful, and it, and it's so natural and so pure. It, I, I don't know if I felt like we would have to teach them how to be bison, you know. And, and now I've, I feel like like I'm in bison school. I, I feel like the matriarch is teaching me, I, you know. <laughs> and so when I look at her, it's almost when she looks at me, it's almost like she's saying. Uh, forgive you for messing these woods up. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Just trust in but the matriarch. And... That's it. Yeah, don't worry. I've, I've, I've got this. That leads me on to uh, one question that I forgot to ask you when we met in Kent, which is, are herds led by a matriarch in general when it comes to, to buffalo, to bison? To, like, is that, a, is that a thing? Is she the leader of the pack or is there going to be an alpha male that comes through? Like, how does the community structure of a group of European bison work? That's correct. Yeah, they are a matriarchal society. So the, the, the female leads the herd and the older, the older female, a bit like elephants. Um, elephants <coughs> also, uh, the matriarch leads the herd. And it's that, it's that knowledge and that wisdom that, they, that, that they've got. You know, they've, she's got 18 years of experience and mm-hmm. um and you can you can just see it. Uh, the, the others are four years old, and, sure. and and you can see them looking to her for for that guidance. But wow, David, she's you know she's she's more than that. She that calmness and confidence that she she's got is it cascades through more than just the herd. The herd would be completely completely different without her. So what you're saying is the success of this enterprise. It's not down to you or Tom. It's not down to the Kent Wildlife Trust. It's not down to the Wildwood Trust. It is purely down to one matriarch, European bison, that comes in with a full character to boot. Absolutely. I know I'm biased, <laughs> but absolutely. <laughs> and with that, we'll head back across to the matriarch again with Don, but this time we're joined by the project's other ranger, Tom Gibbs. See, I was just saying to Don that... Um, I was warned that I might not see any bison at all this morning and then suddenly there's one already waiting for us and then <laughs> the calf bounds out and then the other three slowly come out. They're amazing. It's such a, um, uh, to see them, uh, particularly like a day like today where it's lovely, frosty, cold winter morning and you see all that steam, you know, and their breath, it yeah. kind of, it's very like evocative of a, you know, primeval sort of you know, ancient it feels like you're connecting with something um that you know is deep deeply rooted within nature it's just yeah it's magical and we get to see this you know Everything really privileged yeah but it's that silhouette it's the exactly it's those shoulders i know and and what's so impressive i mean at the moment you so you can see the bull next to the the matriarch and you know the matriarch she's fully grown but the bull you know he's uh, he's still growing he's going to get bigger and he's already bigger than than the matriarch so he's going to be an incredible specimen um what's really the tonnage impressive. of a fully grown male by um well you can get up they can get up to sort of 900 kilograms um so you know he he could be on his way there you know uh, when he bulks out and he really fills out um but he's yeah he's not there sure there yet. <laughs> and they were obviously born in captivity so we know how old they are how would you know how old a bison was if they weren't born mm. in captivity? How do you count the rings? So you, you could use their size as, mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a measure. You could also use their, uh, their body condition sometimes. If you look closely at the matriarch, you'll see that she she doesn't carry weight quite as well as, as the two youngsters. And she's in remarkable condition. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's absolutely beautiful. But you can see it on the hips. If you, if you look at it, you can see her age around the hips. 
and then and then yeah sometimes you can even tell by the few battle scars especially with sure. the bulls you know mm. if they've been playing and jousting around you might have a few the size would be probably the biggest the biggest giveaway but it's not a uh, you got to really take all factors into consideration because uh, their size is also determined by the nutrients that they they're getting i noticed that you're not giving the names no, no not that right. Is that right? Yeah, we, we, we want them to be as wild as possible. We, we're really keeping hands off as much as possible and allowing them to wander the woods and get on with bison business. And, and we're looking for that, that bison impact in the woods. So sure. we, we're trying to give nature back the reins and just uh, yeah, allow, allow them to restore those natural processes that we're missing from, from the woods. They're deemed as... Am I right in saying there's dangerous animals in this country? They are. Yeah, they fall under the, the Dangerous Wild Animal Act. Okay. But, you know, that is sort of a bit of a clunky term, really. I think it, they get grouped in with, sort of in theory, the same as, you know, if a lion was out there, you know, they're classified yeah. almost as a, a similar kind of threat. We can see what they're like here. You know, as with any animals, with domestic cattle, there's always an element of risk. Sure. Um, even with dogs, you know, um, these are no different. But... You know, they're pretty docile, shy um, animals. Uh, they, they tend to keep themselves to themselves. If they've got food, water, um, and they, they feel safe, there's no interest for them to, you know, become involved with, with people or, or the public. Um, so, yeah, it's like any, like I said, like any animals, there is an element of risk, but they're quite happy minding their own business, getting on with, sure. you know, eating, being bison. Um, and if you have that respect for them, they reciprocate. They're very, you know, they're clever animals. They understand the, the sort of the deal and the relationship. And for people, it's part of relearning that because we have that disconnection from big, wild sort yeah, of yeah. fauna and learning what, what that, those boundaries and what that relationship is again. Obviously, we're behind a fence right now. Mm -hmm. How close do you get to them on a daily basis? You say you want to keep your hands off, but obviously you've got to monitor their condition, as you were saying earlier, Don. Yeah. 50 metres. 50 metres. Mm -hmm. yeah. we, we, we've got a, quite a strict rule between us that we, we always we maintain that space, but it's also it's for them to trust us as well. Yeah. So when we're walking through the block, they know that we're not going to encroach on them. We, we're going to maintain that 50 metres. Do they break the 50 metres? They do, sometimes. I mean, yeah. oh, they, they especially my experience, cows always want to yes. come and say hello. Their Very characters curious. are yeah. so different, uh, particularly the, 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 the young cow on the left there, standing with the calf, mm. she's very inquisitive. But if, if they approach, then you just slowly back away, you sure. move off, and then she carries on. Yeah. Do you have a favourite? <laughs> I, I do. Uh, kids. I know yeah. you shouldn't. <laughs> I know you shouldn't. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, everybody chooses the, 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 the young cow yeah. with the one horn, but mine's the matriarch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is absolutely incredible. Oh. I mean, I have to say, so I, I do, I love them all equally. But, uh, <laughs> I do also have a bit of a soft spot for, for one horn. I think it's that, it's the quirkiness of the one horn, bless her, and she's... So oh, that's the British like underdog, thing. isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. the British underdog sort of thing. You've obviously got the South African sort of <laughs> matriarchal support thing, kept in mind by mothers and grandmothers. <laughs> and the cough, I mean, yeah. wow, yeah. you know, she's just... <laughs> A little bundle of energy. Oh, she's adorable. So where we are, with this, this is the corral, as you call it, That's right. where you're doing your supplementary feeding, and it's basically a, uh, surrounded by lots of young birch trees. Mm -hmm. Have these been planted specifically to create a sort of home environment for them, or was this plantation already here when they went in there? 
Exactly, yeah, it's, it's natural regeneration. Okay. So this was once upon a time, you can see in the distance you've got um, uh, sort of conifer, uh, old conifer plantation, and uh, that was that was thinned uh, and felled by mechanical processes, um, so chainsaws and the like. Um, and this is, so this is the natural regeneration, which is, is nice, but you can see it forms that block, that uniform block. And, yeah, um, well, birches, they're the ones that come in first. They blow on in and, they, yeah, and they're good for sort of long-term woodland management. But Precisely. If you don't have something like this, sorry, I'm saying exactly what you should be saying. No, 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 you're putting it better than I ever could. Um, <laughs> oh, there he goes. Yeah. See how they blend into the tree line. A couple of steps and then, wow, amazing. So that's the, that's the male that's just kind of, that's the, the bull. It's the inverse of um, that bit oh, in no, Field sorry. of Dreams that's where they disappear into the corn. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, for an animal that's a block colour, they camouflage really, really uh, well. You've picked that up straight away. So 10 metres, yeah. even less sometimes. Oh. And it's, you're bearing in mind this is also in the winter, so there's no leaves. Uh-huh. You know, your sight lines are, are the best they're ever going to be. And they disappear. Um, it's amazing. Do they have a preferred... So, obviously, yeah, we were talking about the plantations. So, you've got the pine plantations there, you've got the birch here. There's a bit of ancient woodland over there. Mm. The whole area is how many hectares? So, that they're in is about 200. 200, But okay. the, the site itself is, is 500. Oh, the matriarchs disappear. Yeah. Every time I go to talk... Oh, no, that's not... That's, is that's that one the horn? closest to us. The matriarch is just walking into the tree yeah. line. And uh, one horn was the one that went in earlier. Sure, sure. And this is the mum and the calf standing on the left. And they're all going away. You'll see the calf... Is it because I'm asking be... about trees and not bisons? No. <laughs> oh, the calf wants to suckle. I don't know if you see yeah, yeah, the just went in. Just, so she... She, she doesn't like the calf suckling when she's eating, mm, but as sure. soon as she's finished, she'll stand in the calf. Will, um, she allows the calf to, to suckle. How far... Obviously, the... The one horn went off a while ago, like four minutes ago. How long before the herd realises that they all have to reunite again? Ooh, there we go. Ooh, <laughs> <drum>. <laughs> don't drink yet, I'm still yeah. eating. <laughs> they, um, they don't drift far from each other. Sure. They're always within a radius of about 100 metres from each other. Okay. At, at, at the most. Are they vocal? Surprisingly, yeah, they, they are. They, the mum, particularly with the, with the calf, calling, calling the calf and... With a matriarch, if she's trying to move them on, or she, it's quite quite a low sort of guttural yeah, noise, like so it takes a while. Sometimes you, you yeah. almost have to tune your ears to it because sure. yeah. it's not like a call, you know, a call of a bird or even you know a domestic, um, you know, cattle. So it sounds like a kind of yeah, deep really gutty burp from the billy. <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> Could you give me an impression? Oh gosh, go on. You, you're gonna look really <laughs> Go on, do it. Go on, Don. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a really terrible impression. That was <laughs> <laughs> I was watching to see if you're responding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you call me? Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. The bison whisperer. <laughs> Do they have a preferred habitat amongst all the different? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah we uh, have seen changes since since they were released. Mm. We we've seen, but we haven't had the full seasons yet. Sure. It's going to be really interesting mm. to see. Uh, we I'm sure we'll see seasonal change as well. One of the one of the wonderful things is the the matriarch's got the uh, she's got a collar on, and so we can track her every 15 minutes. It sends a, a ping, sure. and we're able to block a time period so a month or a season and we can lay that map over vegetation maps so we can see wow they're spending about 50 percent of their time in the, the oak area or and the, so you, you can start to see those changes and then we can monitor the impacts as well that they're sure. having in those areas 
it's, it's going to be, like Tom was saying, amazing to see how the vegetation responds to their presence as well. Um, you know what, what what grows back because now they've started to open up. When when the matriarch was when the herd was first released, uh, we had a team of really passionate, dedicated volunteers that helped us in the bleen. And the job they were doing at that time was cutting bracken back. Uh-huh. And um, they, they went straight into these thickets and they just took care of the bracken. Yes, they just they were eating it, they were trampling it into the ground, opening up all these areas. And uh, now all of a sudden the sunlight can, can reach the, the woodland floor. So we can't wait to see what seeds have been lying dormant in that ground. Do you think we'll ever get to a stage where we just give woodland management over to animals again because that's obviously the end result it's quicker and cheaper and furious yeah it's so nature doesn't work in straight lines and it doesn't um, you know it it doesn't sort of discriminate in the way that people do when you go out there and you try and mimic what they're they're doing it's so hard to in your giant them. bison costume <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> nibbling away at trees it's not very tasty um yeah it's it's you know you just can't it's so hard to to do what they do and they do it naturally you know randomly and it's that process and those as, as don was saying um you know those uh, natural processes that have been lost from not just our woodlands but other types of habitat that these guys go in and they do it innately they sure. they're just doing what they would do um yeah. any other day and i'm right in saying there's some iron age pigs as well they're not in, are they in the same enclosure as the bison not or are they yet. kept separate so okay. they um so the pigs will have free roam of the site so they're the only animals that will move between the area where the bison are uh-huh. and the area where we're currently standing where you'll have the other conservation grazers so in this area we'll have um, English longhorn cattle and they act as like a nice counterpoint to the bison so we can see the difference between those big bovines and see how yeah. you know they, which is they, best yeah which exactly. bovine's best um, and then we'll have Exmoor ponies um, so Exmoor ponies will be in with the bison and then out, out with the longhorns um, as well. So uh, the idea is to get those comparisons between sure. sort of the foraging and um, feeding regimes and, and how that impacts the woods alongside the traditional management as well. So there'll be another control area where, uh, you know, coppicing, um, chainsawing will still continue sure. to op- op- you know, offer that um, you know that uh, other alternative view um, and to yeah be able to compare the three there was an interesting case study i was reading about up in epping forest where there used to be a lot of coppicing and a lot of mm-hmm. forest management by local human populations mm-hmm. and then um an edict came in that stopped human beings taking the, the one faggot of wood a year or whatever it was that they're all entitled to as local commoners and they, ba- they basically killed off the forest um so then they reintroduced i think it was longhorn cattle there as well yeah to try and get that natural management back to get the balance in the forest right. But it, it's always seemed to me that introducing one kind of creature into an area seems unnatural in the sense that no natural environment would be so restrictive. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I hope the bison do really well, but it'll be interesting to see how the balance forms between the bison with the cattle, with the Exmoor ponies, with the pigs, with yeah. see how they all Absolutely. Long term, that's, that's what you would have, you know, is the mix together, not yeah. to keep them separate. Yeah. That's more for the data collection and, um, you know, long term, 
mixing them together because they have those different foraging and browsing behaviours yeah. you know they'll um, have positive uh, you know impacts for different types of species yeah. so actually having a much more mixed assemblage of, mm. of grazing animals is, be- is better and uh, yeah that's that's the idea and not to take it back to poo as I always <laughs> seem to do but different invertebrates will appreciate different kind of dungs because the animals will be eating different foodstuffs and the whole exactly. biodiversity will go yeah. exponentially from there but then you need a bigger and bigger area. I mean, that's the thing. And then, obviously, you're getting into apex predators because mm-hmm. you don't want to have to bring in human beings to have to cull the populations of the... Luckily, with, with the European bison, because they are still such a fragile species, uh-huh. we're, we're in a position where you know, we won't ever have to, to cull. Um, sure. We would move them on. And they're, they're in such high demand. We've got you know, the bull here. He is di- you know, directly... Um, uh, his ancestry can be linked to the 12 sort of founding ancestors of European bison as we know today. Okay. So he's of amazing uh, pedigree. And that means all of the offspring here that he, he sires are going to be top you know a-list uh, bison <laughs> and they're going to be in, in such demand throughout um, the rest of the european breeding program so sure. these animals we, we, you know we've got a lot of sister sites throughout europe and there's a lot of collaboration between projects like this to continue to support bison numbers and to make sure that they're genetically as resilient as possible um, so for us we'll closely monitor those impacts of the bison and when it gets to a threshold and we say okay we think that they you know we need to move an individual on or even a, a, for example you know a bull if there's a bull born here before he reaches sexual maturity we don't want him inbreeding so we'll, sure, have, sure, to, we'll sure. have to move him. but that's that's part of this are they endangered not anymore thank okay. you yeah, threatened yes threatened but not which is case. great i mean it's one of the success stories conservation <laughs> um success stories but they're they're always they're a bit on like a precipice because again that genetic you, you need know, a certain population otherwise they're all having sex with viable, their sister exactly and it could be very pretty but it's just not right yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there was there were extinct in the wild at mm, stage. Sure. So, 1927, the last free roaming European Europe Where was that? Was shot. That was up in the Kokos in the mountains. Okay. And, uh, they were they were eventually restricted to these tiny little pockets in the remo- remote areas, like the Bioiza Forest in Poland. And wow, thank thankfully conservationists and at the time realized that this species was on the brink of extinction and they had 54 an- animals that were kept in, in, in zoos and with those 12, 12 bred and that's where all the European bison we have today descend from so there was a tremendous bottleneck in the evolutionary line but something amazing that they did was they created a stud book uh, which was wow well, I'm still using it today sure. and um, trying to keep the gene pool as healthy healthy as possible so you'll see them normally in the morning when you put out the supplementary food and then they go off and do their thing and you monitor the fences to make sure that everything's secure. Like, do you didn't really not see them for the much of the rest of the day? Like, they just sort of drift off? We, and we do. We, we do encounter them. Uh, if, if we need to, we'll, we'll go and find them uh, to, to body condition scoring. Sure. Or, and you uh, use the GPS for that or uh, we, can you normally track them to pretty To be honest, well? we track them. Yeah, we just do the traditional... And then, and then Picking we, up a bit of grass, licking it, holding yeah. up the wind <laughs> and going, yeah. You know all the tricks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, we, and also sometimes we'll we be doing um, dream fence checks. Uh, we often bump into people that are on, on a walk here yeah, and they're walking around and and then they viewing them and sure. it's, it's fantastic how accessible to the public is it at the moment oh they can walk right around okay. you can go around here do you find inquisitive canterbury people popping around going 
are they really here? Yeah. We've had to, yeah, we often have to say, trust us, we're not just making it up. They are, we do have bison. Um, and it's lovely, it's so good to see, yeah. you know, that people, not just local, we've had people coming from all over, um, coming to see the bison. And, you know, often we say, oh, you, you know, you to walk around, listen, you know, um, sometimes you can smell them before you can see them um, sure. um, but just to keep a close watchful eye um, and some people don't see them but they never go away feeling empty handed it's that feeling of being immersed in nature the, the thrill of what you're going to find you yeah. know, you, okay you might not see a bison but you'll see you know some other um, wild species um, and I think it's just you know it's really captured people's imagination so to see you know so many keen people of all different ages and backgrounds it was one of those amazing news stories that actually got on the front page of the Nationals about conservation and about the environment. Mm-hmm. And normally they're always so negative, it's climate change and disaster, yeah. or flooding and chicken fowl. But to actually see a positive environmental conservation story get journalists genuinely interested was such such a joy. Yeah. It's so rare at the moment. I think, I think it shows a hunger from the public as well that they are you know that we want good news and we want to like you said in this this world of sort of sadly pessimism and and that sort of you know is is always prevalent um to see that there are good things happening and that there is you know there's hope and that there is and nature is very resilient and there is this potential for it to recover and i think this is you know those shoots and the embers of of that and it's after covid as well people want to be able to get out and get into contact with nature so it's really it's come at a good time and it feels mm-hmm. like there's a lot of momentum so mm-hmm. it's a real yeah positive time to be part of the project and yeah, hopefully it goes from strength to strength am i right in saying the first leg of the project ends in march so the, yeah that's sort of the funding from from people's postcode lottery sure sure so it comes to an end at that so that's sort of the first phase but i mean it's the first of uh, many um, sure okay and the next bison that arrives, will that be a child of the bison that are there, or do you think you'll bring in another creature from outside? It'll be probably another one from outside. Sure. It'll probably be in about four or five years' time. We okay. will have to start monitoring the herd because to try and prevent interbreeding, and then yeah. we'll be looking to move possibly some out and then swap, right. and create, keep the gene pool as healthy as possible. But we'll we'll have to, we'll have to reassess it at you know at that point and see. Okay, this is make the best call. I was reading about the, is it in Harlem in the Netherlands, where they've got a, a similar project, but it's been existing for about 15 years now? Kranzlach. Yes, Yeah. Oh, Stunning amazing. Amazing. And Am I right in saying yeah. that human beings are now allowed into the enclosure as yes. well, and they're treated very much just like yeah. cows? Yeah. It's called the yellow route, so you, when you when you approach, uh, they, they don't have these, the, the big two-meter fence. Uh, they've got there's the three-stranded electric fence, and sure. they've got little stairs that go up and over the top. And there's a board that explains um, just some general health and safety, uh, health and safety. <laughs> bison precautions. Yeah. And, uh, and then you follow the yellow yellow markers, and you can walk. Uh, one of the nice the, the benefits they've got there is that it's very open. You can see the bison from quite a distance. They've also got rolling sand dunes, so you've got the height advantage as well. Uh, okay. They do have periods though in the year where access isn't permitted, so that's your carving. Carving, and yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But beyond that, yeah, it's, it's sort of open yeah. access and people, like you said, they have volunteers positioned on the track and they're sort of pointing out. And um, by and large, it sounds like it's, you know, people yeah, were very, very respectful. Popular. And yep. um, again, we, when we went out there, we had people that were coming from Germany, from, from Poland, all, all these different places sure. to go on these guided tours to go and see the bison. Um, so it shows how much of a draw they are. But that people and 
these animals can coexist. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a hugely dense, densely populated area, and people can walk. You know, it's side like by side it's by like by five side. miles from the city or something yeah, ridiculous. Right. It's yeah, really actually. close. The Formula One racetrack is actually borders. Really, yeah. one of the yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Formula One racetrack versus um, <laughs> Canterbury Industrial <laughs> Estate. I mean, there's the similar. <laughs> oh no, they're glorious. I was reading the health and safety for this visit and it said that I must be supervised by bison rangers or have passed my bison bison competency training. Somebody's got a sense of humor. I was like, where can I do that test? (laughs) Amy laugh. Brilliant. A huge thank you to Don and Tom for both taking time out of their bison wrangling to speak to me for this episode of Trees A Crowd. Thank you very much. Thanks also to those at the Kent Wildlife Trust, the Wildwood Trust, and to Jess at the Wildlife Trusts for looking after me all day, introducing me to otters, illuminating my understanding of elks and the potential they could have on British habitat, making me wear Wildlife Trust merchandise for awkward staged photographs, etc. You name it, we did it. Now, if you want to know more about either the Kent Wildlife Trust, the Wildwood Trust, or in particular the Wilder Bleen Project, please do head along to our website, treesacrowd.fm, where you will find links to literally everything, not quite everything, caveat. Now, if you subscribe to us on Patreon, however, you can also head over there to hear a further conversation that I had with Tom about his background prior to moving to Kent, how he is the yin to Don's yang. But... In the interest of science and wrapping up this exploration of the Wilderbleem project, I thought it best to end this episode with a conversation that I had with a different member of the team. This is with the woman who is responsible for detailing the biodiversical effects upon this habitat that the bison, other large roaming herbivores are available, are manifesting. So all that leaves me to say is thank you for listening. Head out to Bleen, enjoy the footpaths that circumnavigate the forest and see if you can spot the matriarch bison. I will see you back here in one month's time and I will leave you in the very capable hands of Cora Kunzman. Bye-bye. My name is Cora Kunzman and I am the Ecological Evidence and Academic Partnerships Lead for Kent Wildlife Trust. What does that mean? (laughs) That's a good question. I only just started that role two weeks ago so I I can't actually give you the answer to that before that I was a wilding evidence ecologist and that is still what I do so I am responsible for the monitoring program of the Wild Abilene project so you're basically following you're you're the part after Tom and Don have done their bisoning you go in and see what has changed exactly so I was the part before they're doing their bisoning mm-hmm. to get a baseline together sure. and then um the after as well to see what changes and how it baseline changes. meaning what is here why is here how is here how much of it is here and exactly. then we add the bison and find out what's happened exactly so we're very early on in the project so it's very hard to tell what's changed because yep. they've only been there for well in the male's case a, a month and a half what was interesting about what you found there considering this is the first sort of dense study of this particular area the whole thing was interesting just because it is probably one of the most vast and in-depth monitoring programs that we have in the UK. So just doing that and getting a baseline together off this ancient woodland was Give us an idea of scale. How, how big itself. is the area? 600 hectares. 600 hectares. Yeah. For those that don't speak in hectare, how many football pitches? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> big. It's big. A lot. It's really, really big. Yes. And it's just you or are you doing it with other people? 
I'm responsible for it, that's just me, but I have several contractors who do certain surveys for us and I have an army of volunteers who are absolutely invaluable and they do a lot of the data collecting, the sorting through the data, that type of thing. So we're talking, like you used to do at school, you'd take a, a, a square metre of ground and see how many earthworms are there. That's, that's layman's terms. For instance, yeah. yes, yeah. We do that with anything you could imagine in terms of species and sure. diversity and abundance. So what's out there? Oh my goodness, I could probably talk to you for hours if I actually told you everything that's out there. Okay. Some of the more exciting things are breeding birds of lesser spotted woodpecker. I think we have 13, I don't want to say anything wrong, but I think it's 13 breeding pairs. And the invertebrate surveyor found some really interesting um, spider species that had been declared extinct regionally before they were found in the Bleen or hadn't been seen in the UK in 20 years. Sure. So, you know, there's bits and pieces that we had no idea were here or thought had gone actually around. Do you have any hopes about what might change as a result of the bison? I don't really. I don't really want to put any goals in my head of once that species comes in then this project is a success and obviously if we do see species come in that haven't been here for a long time that would be wonderful to see and that's Uh what's happening in other wilding projects in the country but we're trying not to get hung up on any of that and I think for me if we manage to gather enough evidence to prove that nature-based solutions like the bison work to restore woodland like ours then that that is my main goal it does seem to be that the most interesting thing about this project is that the end goal is unknown it's a bold conservation movement in the fact that it's never been done before yeah are you getting any flack for that do people think that you should be more goal orientated um yes a little bit and obviously There's a lot of people who have a very specific interest in one or several species that we have in the Bleen. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, they're all very important and we're obviously trying to protect them as much as everything else. But we need to focus on the bigger picture. We need to focus on the change that those nature-based solutions can make. Are you scared that you might have got it wrong? Potentially. I mean, like, there's there's rare... Is it marsh fertilities that are here? Heath fertilities. Heath fertilities, that's it. Um, not really. Because I mean, I again, don't see how five bison are really going to affect that necessarily. I don't see that either, especially on 600 hectares. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully by everything they do, by the way they behave and through their unique ecology, they, they make that impact that this woodland needs to support even more heath fertilities sure. alongside other bits and pieces. And the, the really exciting thing for me anyway... Um, about this project is that we've got those three treatment types. We've got the area where the bison are in alongside INH pigs and Exmoor ponies. Mm-hmm. We've got the second area that has all the other conservation grazers in. So again, the, the pigs, cattle, the, yeah. the ponies and the cattle. Yeah. And then we have a control area with no grazing animals whatsoever. So not only can we see how things change over time, but we can really compare A, those two large herbivores that you know are almost similar in size, sure. but have a very different ecology. And then also that area that has no grazing animals and will benefit from a more traditional habitat management. I think a lot of the press on this project has been about, oh my God, there's bison everywhere. (laughs) And a lot of the attention has gone away from the fact that it's a scientific exercise with with the comparative process going along the way. That to me is the most exciting. Don't get me wrong, I love the bison, I love seeing them. (laughs) But those those three treatments and the experimental approach behind that is... Exactly. Which is yeah. the favourite of the five bison for you? Um, I think it would have to be one horn because she's a bit of an underdog. <laughs> <laughs> and she just gets bullied a lot, so I love her. <laughs> it's the same as Tom. Tom went for one horn. Did he? Yeah. 
I'm guessing Don went for the matriarch. Of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> Mind you, I haven't met the bull yet, so I have no you've not opinion. Met the no, no. That's, that's how lucky you so are. So you've not seen them? I, well, I have seen all the others, but not the As bull. A, but you haven't seen him? I haven't ah, seen him. Ah, yeah. You need to get out there. He's doing really, really well. Oh, lovely. Um, nice. Cora, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh, the oak and the ivy. Oh, the oak and the ivy. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.